Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome. It's a Thursday edition on a beautiful December 8th, and we are rolling along towards that World Cup final, which is only now, what, about 10 days away? Holy cow. It is flying. Second day off in a row. Now I'm really, really jonesing. No doubt. There's no doubt about it. I want games. I want them tomorrow. And thankfully, they're coming with the quarterfinals, two matchups, Croatia-Brazil and the Netherlands-Argentina. We'll be breaking those games down coming up. We'll be talking with Vince LaRosa, also of 110 Football, but i got to get right to it. Luis Enrique out as Spain manager. He's stepping away. So if it's good enough for Spain, well, I'm just, you know, look, we've been talking about Greg Berhalter. You know my feelings on that if you've been listening. If you have missed something of the podcast, go podcast the show or miss, miss something on the show here on 710 ESPN. Go podcast it wherever you do your podcasting or the ESPN LA app. Luis Enrique is out. Spain disappointing, out in the round of 16. Just as easily could have won on penalty kicks against a tough Morocco team and been through. You know, that's the, that's the fine margins where we're at here. And Enrique pays the price with his job. But again, do you really want a manager to last much longer than that? I know these teams that are in this quarterfinal, a lot of them have a manager on their second cycle. We're not there yet as the U.S. Don't uh, judge yourselves like Croatia and other teams. We're not there yet. Judge us on us. And it's time to move on and really grow up as a nation in terms of football. And again, that's no... Not even really anything to do with Greg Berhalter. Very little to do. Certainly he didn't get far enough. If Berhalter was in the semis here, I think we would have kept him as manager. I get that. And I wouldn't complain. But yeah, you just you got where we expected to. Speaking of getting where you're expected to, no surprise, Brazil, still the World Cup favorites with just eight teams left. Went to VegasInsider.com. I checked it out, VegasInsider.com. Take a listen for these World Cup odds. Brazil is the odds-on favorite right now at plus 175. And they are, they are a clear favorite. France at plus 400. Argentina, England, and Portugal at plus 600. The Netherlands, a long shot at plus 1,400. Morocco, more of the same at plus 2,800. And then Croatia, the longest of shots out of these final eight, at plus 3,300. And I wanted to kind of break this down a little bit. I know betting markets are not actually, you know, they're not always exactly right, right? You wouldn't think France is quite that much of a, not an underdog, but farther uh, away from being the favorite as Brazil there. I mean, yeah, you can look, part of it, of course, is the brackets remaining. And you would say, oh, Brazil's got Croatia, and then maybe Argentina or the Netherlands. Not to say easy by any means. Certainly they wouldn't be a big favorite against uh, Argentina especially. But, you know, Brazil are clearly favorites in their remaining games up until maybe that final. But France, of course, maybe they're plus 400 because they got the tough uh, road against England uh, to begin with in the quarterfinal, which is a pretty tough game. And even Portugal, too. Similar odds to England, but they've got Morocco, and maybe that helps a little bit you know, odds-wise. But boy, Brazil, a prohibitive favorite at plus 175. If you're taking a a gander at a longer shot, maybe, to do some damage, right? You want to take a chance? I mean, plus 600 is not horrific for Argentina. It's not bad at all, really, if you think they can get it done. Even plus 600 for England, but they got that tough test against Brazil. That's the problem. So, Or, I'm sorry, against France. So that's always tricky. Uh, For me... 
plus 1400 on the Netherlands looks intriguing. Not because I think they're like out of place as being the third longest shot here in the quarterfinals. I think that's correct. I actually think the odds are pretty, pretty decent. But if you're going to take a shot, playing an Argentine team that we know can stub their toe, right? Every now and again, it happens. And then you're, uh, you know, looking at a Brazil-Croatia. What if you get a Croatia kind of upset there? And it would be an upset, even though Croatia was in the semi, you know, the finals of the World Cup last time. It still would be an upset to beat Brazil. And then you never know in a final. You take your shot, right? So it's still, I mean, I just think Morocco has a, a you know, tougher mountain to climb going through France, potentially, if they were to get by Portugal. And then Croatia, like we said, we've outlined how difficult their road could be. So I, I think the Netherlands at plus 14 hundred might be about the way to go if you're looking for a longer shot. But boy, I don't hate France at plus 400. I'm not saying that the, I think they're winning. I don't really know who's going to win this tournament. I know that's like a dumb thing, or you're supposed to have all these hardcore predictions, which usually are wrong, but people in our business say it doesn't matter if they're wrong. Just back them up. I don't know. There's my prediction. I don't know who's winning this thing, which makes it all the better, frankly. Can you make an argument for any one of these eight teams? Of course you could. Absolutely, you can make an argument for any of them to win the World Cup. If you get this far, yes. You're there for a reason, right? And these teams were clearly the best eight teams, realistically. I mean, yeah, a tip of the cap to Spain who battled with Morocco. It went to PKs. Anything can happen there. I get that. But these, these teams really were the best including Croatia getting by Japan in, in penalties. You could argue Japan was right there as well. So you could say Spain and Japan are like 9-10, but these are, the, these are the best eight. Any of them can take this down. So, yeah, I mean, people want, you know, give us your hot take. My hot take is I don't know who's going to win this thing. And, again, that's not a bad, that's beautiful. I have no idea. You really have no idea. You can take your pick, fine. You might be right. But you don't know. Any of these four quarterfinal matches could go the opposite way that you think they would. Any of those teams that you think are going to lose, they can win. No question. Right? Isn't that all that really matters? So, yeah. Certainly, you've got favorites in each matchup, but you don't know. Nobody knows at this point. Any of these teams could come out and lay an egg, too. There could be another 5-1, 6-1 type game, 4-1, or certainly if Brazil gets going. Although Croatia's defense with Vardial is very good. We'll be pre- previewing that game coming up later on this show. But, it, you know, anything can happen, quote-unquote, in that sense, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. More uh, beefing with uh, the stories coming out with... Cristiano Ronaldo, did he ask to go home? They, you know, they're denying that, you know, like because he didn't get put in the starting lineup. I mean, yeah, he's becoming a distraction for anything. Don't get me wrong. But it's weird because I got to be honest with you, I usually always favor, or like I always lean if there's like those issues, right? Somebody's becoming a distraction. I always lean towards favoring like the team or the country or, you know, the manager who has to handle that and not the player himself or herself, whoever they are. But I don't really, like, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo, 
Like he's almost earned the right to be a distraction. Let me talk to Mario on this. Mario, do you think I'm completely insane on that? Because maybe he isn't a distraction, right? But I can't get that upset with him over it, even if he were. Oh, Does I mean, that make sense? Anything he does is a distraction. And yeah, you're right. He has earned that, whether it's good or bad. Anything he does, anything, any team he's on, he brings distraction with them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't be a good teammate. He should, and maybe he is the best teammate. We don't know exactly. They're denying the stories. We don't know. We don't know, Dave. That's the thing. I think a lot of this stuff gets blown out of proportion sometimes. Yeah. And maybe they're right. We don't know. But I see a lot of like... Uh, freeze frame, screen grabs, and then uh, oh, I know some ridiculous type of quote underneath it, and you're just like, really? Are you sure? That's stupid. Yeah, that's <laughs> ridiculous. And not only that, Mario, I why why shouldn't he be upset not being in the starting lineup? If that makes sense, if you want him to be upset, yeah. If you're a competitor, and, you're upset. Yes, right? he's one of the best players there ever was. But does he want the best for the team? Probably. Fine. He'll have to deal with that. If he doesn't, shame on him. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, it's still about the team. Right. But in a way, it's like if there's one guy you have to give leeway to in the whole, you know, on the whole team, certainly, and only a couple in the whole tournament, he and Lionel Messi, they get that leeway. I'm sorry. Yeah, legends get that, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, believe me, I am not like give, you know, I am not the guy who gets out of the way for a player no matter what, right? Like, I happen to think most times the players are wrong about some of this stuff like that when it comes to those kind of situations. And again, I'm not even saying he's doing it. I'm not even saying he is a distraction. He might be the best teammate there ever was, and we're just getting all these stories drummed up. But even if he were, if there's one or two people on the whole planet who kind of deserve the leeway of it, isn't it Ronaldo and Messi and guys? I mean, at that level, yes. I'm sorry. That's reality. Now, that doesn't mean that Fernando Santos has to go put him back in the starting lineup. I don't think he will be. They were very successful in their last game without him, right, in terms of a starter. I mean, they walked right past Switzerland with a youngster, Gonzalo Ramos, getting a hat trick and an assist to go along with it. I mean, you'd be crazy if you're Fernando Santos to go back to Ronaldo at this point in the starting lineup, but he's going to be ready. Am I wrong, or is he one of the most uh, dangerous players ever to come off a bench in world football, even at his age, right? I mean, like... Holy cow, what a weapon that could be here in this quarterfinal. Especially against a Moroccan team that's been tough as nails to break down. So I think it's much ado about very little, if, if, if maybe even nothing. And I wouldn't be worried about it. I wouldn't be worried about it if I'm a Portuguese fan. I don't, you know, it, it wouldn't bother me at all, to be honest with you. Because he's always ready to go. Whenever he steps out on the pitch, whether he's been sulking or whether he's been the best teammate ever, he's ready to roll. And that doesn't mean he's at the height of his powers anymore. He's an older player. He's still one of the best. And to have him even to come off as a sub, holy cow. What an advantage, no question about it. Vince LaRosa is always an advantage to talk to him about world football. From 110 Football, he's coming up next. It's Road to the Cup with Dave Denholm on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA on this glorious Thursday. Welcome back. I'm Dave Denholm with you. Joined now by our good buddy from 110 Football and just a, a, a good buddy is uh, Vince LaRosa, friend of the show as well. Excellent to have you back, Vince. Thank you so much for taking the time. Let's dive right in. We've got quarterfinals tomorrow and some big matches. We'll be t- breaking those down. But first, Vince, let's catch up with you. How has the tournament gone? I know, you know, obviously we had the round of 16, the disappointment of the United States. 
How are you enjoying this tournament? Where are you at with this thing right now? You know, the tournament finally heated up, and I think one of the days I was on was one of those big heating up days because uh, we got to talk about Japan. Uh, you know, I, I've liked yep. it. It's It's gone really well. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air about how now the second day off has really started to wear on me. I was like, the first day, look, I needed it. I maybe want to sleep in a little bit more, not have to wake up and immediately feel like I got to do a sprint. But now today I'm like, oh, come on, there couldn't, couldn't have been something. Maybe we do like a little uh, world all-star game or something. I just needed some kind of filler, at least in between these quarterfinals, because these, these games do look great, but I just needed like an appetizer. Let me tell you how sick I am, and I haven't mentioned this to anybody right now, Vince. I was so desperate today. Yesterday I said, you know, I'm not really missing it yet. It was a good day off, like you said. I was feeling the same thing. I said that on the show yesterday, but today I am such a sick man. I actually went back and watched uh, replays of the Baltic Cup between Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, and Iceland. And uh, just watch those on replay on ESPN+. Plus. So got my uh, international football fix today. <laughs> can I just can I just say only you, Dave, and that's what we love about you. Only you would reach into your bag of tricks, and that's the games you would be watching. That's incredible. And these were from like mid-November. There was the the Baltic Cup is played amongst those four nations, and Iceland ended up winning, by the way, on penalties. Congratulations to the Iceland Icelandic national team for winning the Baltic Cup. And uh, yeah, I watched replays of that, even though I, you know, went back and knew the scores and everything else. Still wanted to see how the games went. Exciting all the way around. But Vince, we've had some exciting World Cup action, certainly. Uh, I was talking about the odds in the first segment of the show. World Cup odds. VegasInsider.com, of course, has Brazil as the favorite at plus 175, all the way down to Croatia at plus 3,300. 33 to 1 to win the cup, probably because Croatia has the toughest path, certainly, having to play Brazil next. And then you go on from there. Vince, who are you looking at? Right now, not so much as the favorite, but is there a team that you think maybe would surprise people if they were to get there, like Croatia did last time, losing in the final? Maybe a bit of a surprise to get that far. On that, like maybe the little bit of the underdogs, the Netherlands, Morocco, Croatia, is there anybody you like there to move on? I'm going with the Dutch, and it feels weird because, you know, I know that everybody, and especially leading in that U.S. game, it was the most decorated team in a World Cup, never to have won it. And uh, we got to pump the brakes a little bit there. The Dutch have been good. They, Peaks and valleys always the Dutch. Yeah. Um, but they have an incredible manager, and we got to see that against uh, the U.S. And now I'm looking at them, and I know that they're going up against Messi, and I'm one of those that now is in the uh, the Messi camp. I have no you know deep-rooting interest. I just I love Messi. I would hope that he can get a World Cup. But when I look at Argentina, I don't understand quite what the plan is, and I know – that the Netherlands will have a meticulous plan and how they're going to attack and defend against Argentina. So I kind of like them uh, against the Argentinians. And then from there, it's, it's again, you just kind of lean on uh, the fact that they have some a good mix of young and old talent. You got guys like Daly, Daly Blind, you got Klassen, but then you also got Gakpo, you got Memphis. Um, and then you've got just a, a manager that is uh, transcendent. One of I, I, I would say that Louis Van Hall is one of in the top three of the most influential managers of the last thirty years. Yeah, I can't can't argue with that. We're talking with Vince Larosa, one ten football. That's a good point. And he certainly took it to the U.S. and Greg Berhalter in our matchup in the round of 16. Vince, let's talk about a little bit about Morocco. Here's the thing. People don't understand this. They gave up a cheap own goal to Canada. It was the only goal they gave up against Croatia, Belgium, and Spain in 300 minutes in this tournament. The only goal they gave up was a cheap own goal to Canada, which was such a fluke. Going back to qualifying 
In their final qualifying round, they outscored their opponents 20-1. to The only team who's really been able to break through is the Congo DR in their playoff in the African AFCON qualifying, where they actually scored three goals in two games against Morocco, but Morocco outscored them 5-3. to So they're the only ones who seem to have been able to figure out this defense. Can Morocco continue that defensive performance? I, I mean, I think they can. I think that their coach knows what they have, what he has. Um, and what they do well, uh, I think both you and I agree in, in this point. AFCON is probably the toughest region to qualify from. And yes. if you slug it out in AFCON the way they did, um, you are going to be set up for anywhere you play around the world. And Morocco's showing exactly that. And I, I do want to point out, and it's something we kind of pointed out the last time I was on with you, these teams aren't just doing this by sitting back and just hoping. Uh, they have a strategic setup. Um, I would say even against Spain, they even though they seemed a little deep, they were actually leaving in a lot of space because they knew Spain wasn't going to try to get that space in behind, and they were just going to try to turn them over and do what they do best. But beyond that, look at some of their players, and uh, I would uh, say with anyone that looks at a team like Morocco or even the Japans or the Koreas and say, I don't, I don't quite understand. Look at where these guys are playing. you got Amrabat, who's a great player, playing yeah. with Fiorentina. Uh, Hakimi, obviously, is an incredible, probably the best wingback uh, in the entire world. Uh, Hakim Zayek, who uh, hasn't been playing as much for Chelsea, but go back and watch him when he played for Ajax. I mean, he's an incredible player, and it obviously gives it his all. I actually saw a really funny tweet about Zayek that I just want to share, and I can't, I can't remember who it was, so I apologize to this person, but they said, man, it's so great to watch international football because Hakim Zayek with Chelsea can't be bothered to do anything other than try to score goals, but he will give every last drop to get second balls and to win the ball back from Morocco. And that's the beauty of international football. Yeah, I can't agree more. Vince LaRosa uh, com- coming at you from 110 football. He's a, a regular like guest we like to have whenever we do soccer stuff. And Vince is a great guy. We appreciate that. Vince, let's go a little bit bigger picture here in the last few minutes. Uh, the Greg Berhalter thing. Where do you stand in general? I know we've talked about it, but give us your opinion on where do you stand in general for the two-cycle manager and then more specifically, has Burhalter done enough in your eyes, or should he become a two-cycle manager for the U.S.? I'm conflicted. By principle, I'm anti-two-cycle managers. Uh, it just never really works out. But then I learned just a couple of days ago that of the seven managers that are two-cycle managers, five of them are in the <laughs> quarterfinals. So clearly I've got to uh, contend with my own biases, but I, I still can't. I really can't break it. I just feel like what he did in the collection of the group that he put together are probably his biggest strengths, the, the camaraderie, um, some of the dual nationals like Eunice Musa he was able to bring in. But now I feel like the group just needs to take that next step. And what does Greg Berhalter have from his past that makes me think he can take that next step? I, I don't quite see it. I'm, you know me. You know I love MLS. So I'm not discounting his MLS, but I just don't feel like he has maybe that, that next level. But you do have to say that of the uh, parameters that were set up for him, Qualify for this World Cup, get out of the group. He hit both those, you know, give him the golden handshake, say thank you so much, Greg. Um, and something that's been floating around a little bit, um, which I don't know if this is in play, but just think about it this way. You hire a guy, and let's say things go really sideways. Don't you always kind of have Greg Berhalter to come back? I mean, in many nations around the world, there's been that manager that always is like, well, I know this group at least. You can plug him in last minute. I'm not saying you want to go into it trying to do that, but it's just something to think yeah. about and and – Ultimately, though, for me, Greg, I think if he has other things he wants to get back in the club game, I would love for him to do that. And I just think that you've got a group now that is not young anymore, um, is not someone that they don't need to gel anymore. They've, they've been 
uh, tested in the in the toughest circumstances. I just would love a manager that maybe now can take them to that next step. We are talking with Vince LaRosa. Vince, uh, as usual, great stuff. One more thing I want to talk about a little bit is that 48-team World Cup. It, it, coming up in 2026, now that the U.S. is out of this, we are now going to be hosting with Mexico and Canada coming up in a, in a scant three and a half years. It's going to fly by. Here's the thing, Vince. I love the 32-team format. It's perfect. It's utter perfection. It's the perfect number. But we know that ship has been pushed out of the harbor by FIFA. They're not going back, right? So it's 48 teams. At the very least, Vince, I'm a little bit positive because I'm starting to hear rumblings of four-team groups rather than that garbage three-team group thing they were going to do. At the very least, we know it's going to be 48. There's no going back. What do you prefer amongst a 48-team tournament? Do you want the groups of four or groups of three? I, for me, it has to be four, but let's let's be clear here. All these things are just made up, right? 32 teams doesn't have to be 32. 48 doesn't have to be 48. Uh, do we have to end the games in a tie, or can we have a shootout for an extra point? I mean, these rules are all made up, right? And I, I don't mind them looking at ways to change the game, but the fact that you're just going to have a team sitting around doing nothing is the biggest disadvantage to me in all this. And then obviously beyond that, this last yeah. day that we saw when everyone, the concurrent kickoffs, I mean, it's so, it's such a, a arbitrary thing, but it's one of the coolest things about soccer is on the final day, no one knows exactly what's going on in the other game because you're kicking off at the exact same time. I mean, just the drama, the storytelling that comes out of that uh, is something that I would hate to lose. So I, I love the idea of them continuing to look for ways to make it the four teams, how they do it exactly, whether it's uh, third-place teams or I believe Derek Ray and Ian Dark were saying, what about the top eight teams get a bye? Um, I'm not – I don't know. I don't know how the teams would feel about having extra time off. Maybe that then you start to get into, oh, no, we had too much time off. But I think at the end of the day, you got to have four teams, four team groups. you got to have the concurrent playing on the fi- for the final game. It's just – it's what we live for. Vince, I lied. One more thing. Forget, like, betting odds because we know those are affected by the gambling market itself. Who is your favorite right now? Who do you think wins this thing? For me, I've vacillated. It has gone back and forth, uh, but now I'm, I am on the France train. I just feel like they've grown into this tournament. Mm. And if Kylian Mbappe is going supernova uh, to the point where basically they can just leave him up top and then defend with all the rest of the guys, that's going to be impossible to, to deal with. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just think that the, the combination of pragmatism and then, like I said, a young brilliant star like Kylian Mbappe who, who scores things out of nothing uh, really makes me confident in France. Whereas Brazil, I love them. It just always feels like they're teetering on the edge of they haven't figured out, oh, no, it's going really sideways. And I, I'm not quite sure I, I'm totally bought into them yet. Vince LaRosa, check him out on 110 Football. Vince, we always appreciate your time, buddy. Great stuff. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Hopefully I'll talk to you one more time before we get out of here. I hope so. He is the best. We love him. Vince LaRosa, thanks again. Road to the Cup continues. I'll have my preview of Croatia and Brazil in the quarterfinal tomorrow right here on ESPN LA. Next. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you here. And it is uh, thanks again to Vince LaRosa. Check out his work at 110 Football. Great conversation with Vince. It is the quarterfinals. We are ready for two of the four quarterfinal matches coming up tomorrow. Oh, so glad. It's only two days we've been off, and now it feels like the first day flew by and it was fine because I needed a break. Feels like we've been uh, without football now at the World Cup for about two weeks, not two days. So glad to be back at it tomorrow. The early game, 7 a.m. Pacific time, is Croatia-Brazil. We'll start there in this segment, and we'll take a look at this match. As we mentioned, Croatia 
According to VegasInsider.com, uh, the longest of shots, probably because they have to play Brazil in the quarterfinal, at 33-1. to 1. Brazil at just plus 175, so 1.75-1 to 1, to win the World Cup, according to Vegas, VegasInsider.com, which is where I go for my World Cup odds. They are not a sponsor, by the way. I just, uh, just go to that website. Just want to let you know that. Um, Brazil, well... There's advantages here. Let's break it down, actually. Um, we start with managers. Zlatko Dalic is in his second go-around with Croatia after taking him to the, uh, the final in 2018. A lot of the same players, but they did have a lot of turnover, too, in a fairness. They kind of blended some of the uh, older players in with uh, uh, some young players. Jasko Gvardial, the defender. Oh, my goodness, is he tough. Lavakovic, Dominic Lavakovic, the goalkeeper for Dalic, is very good. Of course, they got a great midfield with Luka Modric, Marcelo Brozovic. And Mateja Kovacic, and we all know the players, Petkovic up front with Kramaric and Ivan Perisic. So, yeah, a lot of familiar names, no doubt, but very talented, no question. There, there's a reason they're here. Now, could they have lost in Japan in the, quarter, in the round of six? You bet. That was a tough match. They were actually down in that game, though, and they're just, again, I've been using this phrase, tough to beat, because in tournament play, it matters, especially when you get to the knockout stages. Right? And Croatia knows how to not get beat. But the trick of it is, do they have enough offense to keep up with Brazil? And I just don't see it. Now let's break it down a little bit further here. Chiche's got uh, Allison and Net versus uh, Levakovic for Croatia. I give the advantage to Allison, who's been playing great, great goalkeeper. Even if he weren't able to go, I mean, they got Anderson too, and Waverton backing him up. So. Deep at goalkeeper for Brazil, although Lovakovic has been very good. So a slight advantage to Brazil in net. Now, in defense, we mentioned Vardial has been one of the best players in the tournament, just 20 years old. Of course, Brazil's defense has been just super tough. Thiago Silva, among others, Marquinhos back there. I mean, they're loaded, right? Militao. I mean, they got great defense. I don't really give Brazil a massive like advantage in defense, though. Croatia's been very good. I almost call that a draw. Now, other people, they'll you know hear it and go, oh, Brazil's names, look who's back there. Croatia's been doing it, too. I mean, like, on the pitch, they're not giving up much, right? So you've got to give them credit for that. And Brazil certainly has played great defensively as well. So I can't – I give it a, a bit of a, a push there. Midfield, you know, I, we mentioned the, the players for Croatia and the names. We all know him. Luka Modric, one of the smoothest and best midfielders of his generation – Getting up there a little bit in age, certainly. For Brazil, you're looking at you know, Paqueta, Casemiro, Neymar comes back into get the ball a lot, although he's more of an attacking player, certainly. But I think it's a bit of a push. I know that uh, you know people will look at Croatia with Brozovic and Kovacic and Modric and say, oh, they, they might even have a bit of an advantage there in the mid. I don't see it. I think Casemiro is such a steadying presence. Paqueta is able to get forward even and be dangerous. We saw that in the uh, most recent game. And oh, really throughout the tournament, and yet doesn't really shy, you know, shy away from his defensive responsibilities. So I'm going to give it a bit of a push here. It's close. It's close. And again, the reason I say push is like we can look at the fine razor thin margins and say, well, maybe Brazil at this point or in, in this way is better in the midfield, but maybe maybe Croatia's a little bit better at this and the and the ball possession or rather the tempo and things. So I, I say it's a bit of a push there. Up front, Perisic we mentioned, Pekovic, Andre Kramaric for Croatia. Very good, but they haven't been like really like clicking on all cylinders except for the match 
against a, a, a poor Canadian team who just got run over. And boy, the goals that Croatia scored in that match were beauties. Don't get me wrong. But they haven't really looked that great offensively. So the advantage is, of course, Brazil in this category. Vinicius Jr., Rafinha. Rafinha's look great. Richarlison's got three. I mean, they look great up front. You know, as I mentioned, Neymar comes into the attack, of course. He's an attacking player. I mean, that's where the big advantage of this match is. Slight advantage in goal, although, as I said, Lovakovic has been very good, too. So I wouldn't, you know, have a problem if I'm picking teams. I have no problem with Lovakovic being my goalkeeper versus Alisson. But maybe Alisson's just a little bit more experienced and better, slightly better shot stopper. But the advantage, again, not in defense, not in the mid, it's up front. If Brazil stays clinical in the way they move the ball and really... To me, the key player, as much as you know, we all love Neymar and Richarlison, I mean, just look good, and Neymar's a great player, Vinicius Jr., wow, what a mismatch he is. He can attack from so many angles out on that wing, and just the way his vision, he's just an incredible talent, and I think he's playing very well. If he continues to do that, then Croatia cannot win. Now, they can stop anybody. Croatia can stop Brazil. They can, defensively and through the mid. They can control this game, potentially. I don't see it happening, but it is there is that pathway for them. It's not out of the realm of possibility by any means. Croatia's that good. But they will have to muck up this game if they're going to beat Brazil. They cannot allow Brazil to get comfortable, even for a split second, seemingly. But with Vinicius Jr. and Afinha up front and Richarlison playing the way he is, I think Brazil will find that comfort in the long run. If Neymar can, you know, is at 100% and can, can continue to play that way as well, then, you, like I said, you get Paqueta coming in. Casemiro's just so deadly in front of that back line defensively. I, I do see Brazil winning this one, and I see a game that if Croatia doesn't take their chances very well, this one could get out of hand as well. And I, you know, I'm not. I don't make like big time, like hardcore predictions, but I do think this could get ugly, like a three nil type thing, if Brazil gets comfortable and Croatia doesn't finish, especially the first chance they get that has been so crucial. So many of these teams, especially in the round of sixteen, had the chance early. That the teams that lost, maybe they were even peppering the opponent's goal and just couldn't break through. They weren't clinical. Brazil is clinical. If Croatia lets them be clinical tomorrow, forget about it. It might even be a walk and into the semifinals. I do believe Brazil's going to win anyway, but Croatia, for them to have a chance to continue on, and again, it's not out of the realm. This is a team that's a you know, finalist last, you know, this is a good team. But they've got to be absolutely deadly with their first chance or two in this match. If they can jump out on Brazil and then kind of dictate the way Brazil has to come at them, and maybe with a little bit better opportunity to have numbers behind and support Vardial, who's in the back line with, I mean, he's just been playing magnificently, but then you start to really see what Modric and Brozovic and Kovacic can do in terms of controlling tempo. If Croatia gets ahead in the match, yeah, it could be a little bit of a tough day for Brazil. But I still think they'll pull it off. And I think Brazil are the favorites in the match. I think they're still, the, you know, rightfully so, the favorites in the tournament. I Again, I said it earlier. I don't know if they're going to win the whole thing. Nobody knows. 
realistically, Brazil could get dumped tomorrow if they have a bad day. No question about that. I mean, there's any of these teams, if they have a bad day in the quarterfinals, they're done. So that's not something that's some amazing insight on by my on my part. But I like Brazil to kind of dictate the tempo, get those chances, play beautifully. And when I say that, it's not really, that's not the end goal but the way Brazil are playing such beautiful football in that they are clinical. And I constantly talk about that. You have to finish your chances and half chances. And uh, Brazil did to the tune of a 4-0 lead at halftime against South Korea, and they cruised. And they really didn't weren't tested in their group. I mean, they rested nine players in the final match and got beat. But again, they were really rotating their squad. So, And it might have been a little bit of a you know nice little kind of kick in the stomach there at the end of the group stage, right? To just, you were you knew you were going through anyway, but, you know, take a little loss there. Can't hurt. Maybe Tite didn't even mind that. But he's got to be loving. We saw him dancing with his players, and he uh, almost had to apologize. Not apologize, but defend himself. It was beautiful. Dance. That's what football's all about. Who cares? You're not showing anybody. It's the World Cup. These are all professionals. I hate when people try to make a mountain out of a molehill. It's ridiculous. If a player scores a beautiful goal, wants to run over to his manager and they start dancing a little bit, come on. I'm sure nobody really cares on the other. I mean, yeah, they might get mad because they gave up a goal, but tough. You're pros. Deal with it. And I don't know that anybody can deal with what Brazil's doing and how they're playing right now. So I do suspect Brazil will get this victory. If I had to be put to a test on a scoreline, I would say somewhere in the 3-1 range, Brazil. If it's a little tighter than a 2-1, I could see. But I just don't see how you're going to control this Brazilian team for 90-plus minutes and shut them down. Croatia is certainly capable defensively, but I think Brazil will find a way, and they will get it done. We've got a preview of the Netherlands-Argentina coming up next, plus stoppage time with Mario Rees. I'm Dave Denholm. This is Road to the Cup. We continue on here on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup continues here on ESPN LA, and we're now going to preview the second quarterfinal match in tomorrow's schedule. Thankfully, we're back kicking a football around tomorrow. Netherlands-Argentina. Of course, the Netherlands dispatched with the United States. Our boys in the round of 16, so I'm not really looking forward to rooting for them necessarily. And Argentina has Lionel Messi, and what a story that would be here. This is the late game, by the way, the 11 a.m. Pacific kickoff here for this one that will be on Fox as well. And Netherlands-Argentina, let's get right to it. Kind of how I broke down the Croatia-Brazil game. First, at manager Louis van Gaal, uh, you know, he talked about how to stop Messi. It's more about just kind of you know, not letting him have that football. Basically, you got to cut off the passing lanes. It's pretty standard. Lionel Scaloni is the manager for Argentina. You know, and, and you heard Vince talk a little bit about it. Vince LaRosa was a guest earlier. Kind of how you just wonder what the Argentine plan is sometimes from game to game. And sometimes it feels like their plan is, where are you, Messi? Carry us. Okay, that's not a terrible plan. He's one of the greatest players ever live. And by my estimation, still the best player on the planet. So that's not a horrible plan. (laughs) But sometimes you need a little more than that. And I'm not saying Scaloni's not capable. I do think Louis van Hall gives them a bit of an advantage, though. The Netherlands. Let's go to goalkeeper. Andres Noppert played very well against the U.S., made that huge save against Christian Pulisic, who might have, ch- might have changed everything in the fifth minute. Uh, Emiliano Martinez, good goalkeeper for Argentina. 
I don't see much of a difference there, like who has an advantage versus the other. I think they're both very excellent keepers, perfectly fine with either one of them. I don't think they either one of them has like some massive disadvantage over the other either. Uh, defensively, of course, you got Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake, and Timber for uh, uh, Netherlands. If, you know, again, managers may make a change or two, but I'm, I'm basically going with the players who had started most of the, you know, Acuna, Romero, Otamende, among others here in Argentina's defense. I give a slight edge to Netherlands defensively. I think their Argentina can be beat a little bit easier maybe through those players. Not that they've had a bad tournament by any means, but I do think Van Dyke, Ake, Timber, and then, of course, they use the wing backs with Blind and uh, getting up and down as well, um, as well as uh, Dumfries. So for uh, you know the Netherlands, if you want to consider that a five-man backline, I really consider it a three-man backline, and those wing backs are really getting up and down, certainly helping defensively. But I would give it a slight edge to the Netherlands. I think Van Dyke, of course, in the air as well. In the midfield, Frankie de Jong's going to pull the strings, which he's been doing for the Netherlands. I don't think he's been that dominant by any means, but he's getting the job done. You know, it's a, it's a little quieter than you would think, but he's a very talented player. I like David Claussen, who's been inserted into the starting line. Darun is in there. You've got uh, Alexis McAllister. Uh, I think DePaul, or Rodrigo DePaul's kind of had a poor tournament for me uh, in, in the midfield for Argentina, if he's still in there. And Enzo Fernandez, super talented, no question he's, you know, capable of scoring beautiful goals, as we've seen. A slight advantage there to the Netherlands, if De Jong can really get comfortable. But that's not easy to do, in fairness, against a guy like Alexis McAllister and Fernandez and DePaul and even the back line of Argentina. So that's where the advantage is, if Frankie De Jong can kind of really run the show. And you'll notice that, against, especially against a team like Argentina, if he's doing that. Difficult to do when you have Lionel Messi on the other side. Up front, you'd have to give the advantage, of course, to Messi and Julian Alvarez and even Latoro Martinez, who can come off the bench. Uh, you do have Memphis and Cody Gakpo, though, for Netherlands, so it's not like a massive advantage. I mean, it is based on, oh, they have Lionel Messi, but in terms of scoring and what's been going on, I mean, Gakpo's having a great tournament with three goals. Memphis is a great player, so the advantage for Argentina there is small, if you will. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like the Netherlands can spring this upset. This is a good matchup for them. Now, again, Messi is the great equalizer and then some. If he has one of his days, then nobody's going to stop him. No one. Not the Netherlands, not anybody. So there is that great equalizer if you will, but I think if you're looking at it breaking it down, the Netherlands has a real opportunity in this match. Now, they are the underdog, and rightfully so. I still think Argentina's the favorite in this one. Not going to be surprised if Argentina just walks right through, potentially. If it starts to go their way, and if they can keep Frankie de Jong from getting comfortable. But the Netherlands, when they get comfortable, they really they start to kind of play better than even maybe the, the sum of their parts should. If that makes sense. Like this can be a really good team when they're getting comfortable. Argentina's got to keep them uncomfortable. And that means McAllister, DePaul, and Fernandez have to have a good game through the middle of the field. Getting Messi involved as high up the pitch as they can. Right? And again, never never the wrong idea to give Messi the ball wherever he wants it. 
But the higher up the pitch, the better against the Netherlands to try to break down that back line. I think Ake can be, you know, he's been played very well. He's a good player. He is. Man City defender. He is a very good player. He can be beat in this matchup. That might be where Argentina can attack. If I'm going to have to call it right now, if I have to make a prediction, I think the Netherlands pulls a bit of an upset here. I really do. Probably have to be 1-0 and be super frustrating all day to the Argentine offense, which good luck with that. Don't tell Pablo Alcina I said that, Mario Reyes, but join me now for stoppage time. Here he is, producer of the show, Mario, and uh, Pablo's going to kill me if he hears this. But, uh, yeah, I think the Netherlands I think the Netherlands is going to spring an upset, unfortunately, Mario. I want to see Messi in the final. I really do. But Well, check this quote out from Virgil van Dijk. Uh, this I saw yeah. on ESPN FC real quick before we get to stoppage time. This is uh, from van Dijk on trying to defend against Messi. He goes, the difficult thing about Messi is when we are attacking – he is chilling somewhere in a corner or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so true. He's like a monster. If you read that quote, it's like, is he talking about a monster or something? He's like chilling over there in a corner or something. And it is so true. You know, That's how Messi does it. It's funny you say that, Mario, because I've always felt like if I was a manager and I had a player like that or, you know, not like Messi necessarily, but a great player. Keep him as high up towards midfield. Let the let the the ball go past him defensively, right? Let him just let him just be annoying to keep the back line from being able to push up too far, right? And yeah. that's to me, teams get way too comfortable putting all eleven men way behind the ball, and I think you lose that. You lose a little bit. Keep your forwards up there. Keep a guy like Messi as high up the pitch as you want. It doesn't matter defensively if he's involved. Really, it doesn't. And it'll force Virgil van Dyke to be way back. You know, I think it's going to be interesting if Scaloni can do that or will allow Argentina to do that at times. Although the Netherlands is not going to have huge amounts of possession that way necessarily. But interesting. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, that's a clash of titans right there. Let's hit the stoppage time here now. What's going on, Mario? So however this thing ends, I mean, there's superstars left and right still left in this tournament. There's powerhouse teams. There's even a, a, yeah. a, a underdog team in Morocco. So however this thing ends, it's going to be legendary. Now, ESPN FC, they wrote up a bunch of headlines here, possible headlines for when this thing is all said and done. And I'm going to read them to you, and then you get to pick which one is most likely, all right? Cool. So the first one is Morocco, the first African country to win it all. Sounds nice. I love that one. I love the underdog. Next one is Messi and Ronaldo having goat bragging rights. Oh, that's a – I mean, just – the matchup just blows my mind if those two made the final. Football finally coming home for England. Yeah. I mean, it's a long, raw road when you're playing France first in the quarterfinal, but England could do it. It would be interesting, no question. How about France go back-to-back back for the first time in 60 years? Oh, I mean, does that not set up Kylian Mbappe to be one of the legends of the game immediately? I mean, two straight World Cups at his age? Come on. What about Neymar gives Brazil their sixth star? Well, especially when you got Pele, who had been, you know, ill, and there was concerns about that. Thankfully, it's, you know, not as bad maybe or something. But, you know, with Pele watching over, what a, what a story that would be for Brazil to get it done. This one will be sweet right here. Uh, Modric retires from international football in style. Yeah, can you imagine losing a final and then getting to the next one and winning it? Oh, that, that would be amazing for Croatia. I mean, imagine how that would cement their legacy as a, as a footballing country and that group of players. Unbelievable. 
And the last one, Netherlands, win it for the first time after losing three finals. Which one is most likely oh, for that... you, Dave, to end uh, after this World Cup is all said and done? What's most likely? I mean, to me, most likely, I still I don't disagree with Vince. I think most likely is France going back-to-back, which is so scary. But, yeah, I really do. And I, But a tip of the cap to Brazil, I still, you know, I have a good reason to, you know, there's a good reason why they're the favorites as well. I would think the winner is going to come from one of those two. Great stuff, Mario. Appreciate it as always here on Stoppage Time. This is the Road to the Cup. Join us each and every Monday through Friday. We'll be talking with you tomorrow. See what happens in these matches right here on ESPN LA.